Welcome to the Essence of Health Tea Time Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Shayla Toombs-Withers. As a double board certified family and obesity medicine physician with over 12 years of experience in medicine, I teach motivated individuals how to achieve their desired quality of life while preventing and reversing chronic diseases. It's tea time. On today's episode, I'll be sharing a talk where I spill the tea on food addiction and using food as medicine. Recently at the Georgia Veg Fest. Hope you enjoy. So I'm just here to share more with you all today on some of the stats and studies and, and things uh, regarding this. So let food be thy medicine. It truly is one of my favorite quotes when it comes to preventative health. Uh, it was brought to us by Hippocrates, which is the father of medicine. And it really speaks to the resounding theme about how we can prevent and reverse chronic disease by just what we put on our plate. And food really can be medicine to us. As a family medicine and obesity medicine physician practicing in primary care, I'm often the person who is the one to make the diagnosis for someone who has the high blood pressure, diabetes, um, heart disease, uh, high cholesterol, uh, pre-diabetes, uh, PCOS, all of those things that are lifestyle related. And you know, my patients, they come to me because they want treatment. And yes, I can totally give them their medicine and we do that. But ultimately, I do try to have them make change with what they put on their plate. The old adage of you are what you eat, it, it's true. We truly are what we eat. What we put into our bodies is very important for our health and our wellness. Uh, the most commonly suffered chronic diseases that cause illness and death are actually related to our lifestyle and the foods that we consume. Most American adult studies have shown have at least one chronic disease. And in the United States, our leading chronic diseases causing disability and death are heart disease, cancer, and diabetes. These are the same diseases that drive up our healthcare costs. What we put on our plate is a large contributor to the development of these chronic diseases when we live in a world where we have convenience foods at our fingertips. However, what we fail to realize is that that convenience comes at a price to our health. So for my plant-based eaters, I, I don't want you to think that you're safe from food addiction, which is what we're gonna be chatting more about today uh, because you consume a vegan diet. And we'll dive more into the specifics as to why this also affects plant-based eaters as well as my plant-curious folks. So food manufacturers, they want you to consume more and more of the food that they sell. That's why they are in business because they want it to taste good and they want you to eat more of it. So they make it taste more desirable to you and they want you to salivate just when you even think about eating their food. And so these feelings, they come from our brain. And so that's what contributes to food addiction. And so we'll dive into more of that. Palatable foods contribute to the phenomenon of food addiction. Now, the formal definition of food addiction is craving highly palatable foods regardless of hunger, obsessively thinking about food outside of times of hunger, compulsive or uncontrollable urge to eat regardless of hunger or sanity, which is the feeling of being full, gaining pleasure and elation only from certain foods, overindulging and eating beyond what is needed to feel full or required for nerve, normal nourishment of one's body. Food addiction has been linked to obesity and binge eating disorder, and it's contributory to many of the common chronic diseases we see in America. 
So your next question may be how and why does food addiction occur? And so this actually occurs because certain foods can trigger the part of the brain that contributes to pleasure or euphoria. However, the surge is greater than what naturally should occur when you just eat normal food that's just there to nourish your body. Overstimulating that pleasure center of the brain, it leads to cravings as what constantly seeks that same type of high or reward um, of their pleasure from food. And then over time, tolerance occurs, causing one to require more and more of those same unhealthy food choices to achieve that same level of pleasure that you previously obtained from food. And so this, the seeking of this pleasure leads one to avoid healthy activities at the expense of awaiting the reward from the food that previously caused this euphoria. In this process, actually, the studies that have been done on food addiction are similar to the studies that have been done on drug addiction. And studies have shown that some uh, processed foods can be as addictive as drugs and as highly addictive as cigarettes are to cigarette smokers. And much of the research uh, regarding drug addiction and substance use has found that it affects the brain much like food addiction. There is the prefrontal cortex, the basal ganglia, and the extended amygdala. And those are the main areas of the brain that are involved in substance use disorders and associated with three stages of the addiction cycle, which we'll go into. So the prefrontal cortex is involved in executive functioning, like organizing your thoughts, managing your time, making decisions, and exerting control over substance use. The basal ganglia is responsible for controlling that reward center of pleasurable effects that we get from substance use and certain foods. And it's responsible for those habits that we develop from those things. And then the extended amygdala regulates the reactions to stress, anxiety, irritability, which typically accompanies withdrawal. And then you get the stages of the addiction cycle, which includes the binge or intoxication stage, where an addictive substance produces rewarding or pleasurable effects, hijacking the brain and, and forming those habits that you have. The withdrawal negative effect stage, where absence of a substance leads to withdrawal symptoms, including negative emotions and even physical symptoms like pain. And then the preoccupation anticipation stage, where executive function is overruled by cravings leading to substance seeking and a preoccupation with use. Um, and so even just you know, hearing those things, I'm sure many of us can think of some foods that may even trigger some of those strong feelings for us. Um, you know, it's common that we hear, for me it's common that I hear patients say, you know, they can't help but crave the cookies or the chips or you know, some of those things and, and that's why, uh, because it, it does, it hits those same pleasure centers. And so any of my plant-based eaters, what was the most challenging um, food that you found was hard to keep off your plate? Anyone cares to share? Yeah. Cheese. Cheese. Yep. That's typically the, the number one answer. Hey, and I'm, I'm with you. Yeah. <laughs> That's typically the number one answer. And so we'll talk about why cheese, cheese can be so hard for people to let go of. And so as we get into this, let's talk about what foods particularly are addictive. And so those main components of food addiction are salt, sugar, and fat. And so if you think about cheese, you're getting that fat you're getting that salt for sure. And so, you know, it's one of those things that really makes it challenging to let go of. And so let's dive into more about salt. 
Americans consume on average of about 3,400 milligrams of sodium salt each day. This is more than double the, um, the recommended amount of 1,500 milligrams or less that is ideal for health. So think about how many potato chips, french fries, crackers you may consume. Um, these foods are plant-based, but they aren't health foods because of the high sodium in them. More about sugar. A high glycemic meal, often highly processed, has been shown to stimulate that pleasure and reward centers of the brain, as well as the part of the brain responsible for cravings. And so what do you all think is the most commonly craved food? This is, this is something I, I actually Googled and I found the answer interesting. Ice cream. Ice cream? What else we got? Chips. Chips? Cookies? Chocolate, ding, 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 that's our winner. <laughs> so yeah, so the studies actually showed that chocolate was the most commonly craved food. And think about what's in chocolate though. You've got all three of those components that we talked about. You've got your sugar, you've got your salt, and you've got your fats in chocolate. And so it's like the trifecta, if you will. <laughs> yeah, and it is, it's the most highly craved food. Um, but even, you know, thinking about things like ice cream, candy, cakes, fruit punch, soda, donuts, just even hearing or saying these foods for some people may make some people start to salivate and that's because uh, the brain is triggered when we even, you know, hear or think about those foods. It's triggered to remember that sense of pleasure that we gain from eating those foods. Let's go more into fat. So when people are often asked why it's challenging to be vegan, many will say that they struggle with removing cheese and dairy from their diet. Uh, cheese is as addictive as drugs to many individuals. So think about hamburgers, grilled cheese sandwiches, bacon, cooking oils. Those are all of those fat components that really make it hard for people to put down those foods. And so then when you get the combination of these ingredients, salt, sugar, and fat, it's even more dangerous, like that trifecta we talked about. Similar what's frequently and commonly over-consumed processed foods. So you'll find those same three things in potato chips, snack cakes, french fries, pizza, and fast food, which is why these foods tend to be more irresistible to many people. But the habits of food addiction can come at the price of the development of a chronic disease over time, regardless of obesity status. So healthy eating is important for all sizes. As we discussed, the most common chronic diseases that Americans suffer from are most often diet and lifestyle related. High blood pressure, diabetes, high cholesterol, and heart disease. Food manufacturers often persuade the consumer into believing that healthy food is expensive and unaffordable. Highly processed food is sold at a low monetary cost without the consideration for the actual high long-term cost of eating these foods. When considering chronic disease, food addiction and the consumption of highly processed foods comes at a high cost. Let's talk more about the cost of your health of these foods. So there's a high cost to the chronic disease of diabetes. I'm gonna give you some numbers here. 30.3 million people have diabetes. 84.1 million have prediabetes, which is the precursor to diabetes. An estimated 245 billion, with the B, dollars is amassed from medical costs and lost wages related to diabetes. And the risk of death is 50% higher. The risk of multiple, multiple other serious health conditions is high because diabetes also affects multiple organ systems in the body, including a contributor to kidney failure, blindness, 
numbness and tingling of your extremities, loss of limbs, and heart disease. There's a high cost to high blood pressure or hypertension. 77.9 million adults have high blood pressure. An estimated $47.5 billion is amassed for medical costs related to high blood pressure. High blood pressure has been a contributing cause of death in almost 1,000 deaths per day. That's more than COVID if you kept count. Yeah. High blood pressure increases your risk for dangerous health conditions like heart attacks, strokes, and kidney failure. And so I hope, you know, one of the things, if you don't take away anything else, that you will take away that it, there's actually a high cost to what we consider to be these low-cost foods. There's also a high cost to chronic disease of high cholesterol or hyperlipidemia and heart disease. Heart disease is still the number one cause of death in the United States. Having high cholesterol will increase your risk for heart disease. Every minute a death occurs due to heart disease. Between 2016 to 2017, direct and indirect costs of cardiovascular disease were $363.4 billion. Cardiovascular disease and stroke account for 13% of total health expenditures in 2014 to 2015. And this was more than any other diagnostic group. If you're frustrated with your weight, taking more medications than you'd like to, have been told that you are at risk for the development of a chronic preventable disease or just are not feeling in the best of health, then I'm talking to you. Why? Because you're tired of fat dieting. You know it's time for a change and you want a sustainable plan to improve your health. If you have found yourself at this place in life, well, I have developed a program that's just for you. It's called The Essence of Health and it's your prescription for transformation. My goal with this program is to give you the tools needed to create sustainable lifestyle changes within a group coaching setting, along with one-to-one -one individualized coaching to give you a personalized path to health that's just for you. The benefits are priceless, so join today. Head on over to eohcoaching.com to learn more. The essence of health is in you. All right, so the good news is that it's not all doom and gloom. Food addiction can be overcome with the right tools for changing your lifestyle and the foods that you consume. So first you wanna choose foods that avoid those brain triggers for you. So if, you know, just the thought of talking about cookies and candy and chocolate make you salivate, those are probably things you wanna put on your, your personal list that you, you know, wanna to try to stay away from as much as you can. Uh, you wanna avoid highly processed food. You want to opt for a diet that avoids high glycemic foods, including processed grains and concentrated sugar. Don't add salt to your food. Whole food naturally contains the necessary amount of sodium needed for health. You want to avoid animal fat. Don't choose products marketed as low fat because a lot of times what happens is those food manufacturers will just substitute fat for sugar. So you don't want either of those. You want to reward yourself with other non-food-based rewards. So, you know, we typically celebrate a lot with food-based gatherings, but you can think outside of the box and celebrate your accomplishments with a new dress, a trip, a mani-pedi, or a new plant added to your garden instead of a, a food-based celebration. Now, let's talk about how we can specifically make changes to our addiction to salt. So the American Heart Association, they produced a, a really good handout that I like. They call it uh, the Seven Salty Myths Busted. 
So we'll go into these. So myth number one is that you should eliminate sodium uh, for completely good health. This is actually a myth because sodium is an essential nutrient. Uh, it helps to actually regulate our blood pressure. No, we don't want too much of it, but we do need some. But as we discussed, you can actually get that um, from your diet. You can find sodium uh, naturally occurring in vegetables like seaweed or kelp, uh, for instance, there. Myth number two is that sea salt has less sodium than table salt. This is also a myth. So a lot of times, you know, sea salt has definitely boomed in popularity and people say, oh, I'm, I'm just having sea salt. You can even find sea salt potato chips, you know, sea salt. We, we make it sound really good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But the truth is, is that sea salt just has just as much uh, sodium in it as table salt, which is about 40%. Um, so you definitely still want to uh, not add a bunch of that to your food, the same as you would table salt. Myth number three. I usually don't salt my food, so I don't eat too much sodium. That's one I hear a lot, actually, from my patients. <laughs> but the truth is, uh, studies showed that more than 75% of sodium that Americans consume actually comes from processed foods and not the salt shaker. So anytime you're getting you know, anything from a can, anything from a box, it's gonna naturally have sodium added to it because it acts as a preservative. But even if you're not adding salt, um, if you're not eating particularly a whole food, you're still gonna be getting more salt than you probably want to. Myth number four was high levels of sodium are found only in food. And this one is also a myth because there are some over-the-counter medications that contain high levels of sodium. So it's another example of how, you know, I often tell people that they definitely want to be a food uh, label reader, but you also want to be careful and read your drug labels carefully, too. Some examples of those sodium-containing uh, over-the-counter meds are uh, any of your dissolvable pain relief medications or anything labeled rapid release. For example, acetaminophen will contain about 400 milligrams of sodium. And if you take any of the effervescent ones, so those are the ones you drop the little tablet in the water and you see the little bubbles fizz up, well, that's actually sodium that's even causing that reaction um, in that. And so each one of those little tablets can contain about 476 milligrams of sodium. And if you actually took the recommended dose and you got sick, you know, and you took the recommended dose, which is usually like six to eight tablets over the course of a day, you're gonna get over 3,000 milligrams of sodium in your day. And that's Actually, you know, you haven't even eaten any food yet. And so that's a, a high amount. So, you know, another thing to take note of, especially if you're someone who has high blood pressure, probably should speak with your doctor and find some alternatives, that medicines that you can use. Um, and then for some over-the-counter medicines, the, the name sodium is right in the medicine. So naproxen sodium is a good example of that one where it's, it's right there on the label for that one. Now, myth number five is lower sodium foods have no taste. <laughs> so we know this is a myth, uh, although, you know, people say, oh, I need, the, I need the flavor, I need the flavor. Like I said, I'm from the South, I get it. You know, things are flavored, everything. Uh, but you can get good flavor from one, using other vegetables. My mom, I'm going to brag on her a little bit, because she makes uh, collard greens and turnip greens the way I like them, and she actually will put uh, peppers and onions, and so she used those to flavor greens. And so that's one way that you can flavor some things. You can also use herbs dried herbs uh, make a good uh, flavoring, especially if you get them fresh. They you know, bring you even more flavor to your food when you have them fresh um, just from buying the prepackaged ones that way. Myth number six, my blood pressure is normal, so I don't need to worry about how much sodium I eat. 
And so this is actually a myth too, because even if you don't have high blood pressure right now, what can happen over time is if you continue to eat those foods, you wear down your system essentially. And so then your kidneys don't function as great and you're not able to filter out um, that sodium as well as you were. And then as you age, you're gonna be at more risk for these things anyway. And so you don't want to already be setting your organ systems up to not uh, function properly as you age. And then myth number seven, I don't eat a lot of salty food, so I don't eat too much sodium. For my non-plant-based, my plant-curious folks, some of your culprits that are gonna have sodium uh, just naturally in them are gonna be pork, poultry or chicken, cheese, like we discussed, and bread. Those all contain an, typically an excess amount of sodium, as well as the cholesterol in those things that will increase your risk for heart disease and stroke. For my plant-based eaters, you're gonna wanna watch out for even vegan cheese and package vegan hot dogs, crackers, nuts, and chips because a lot of times those things contain high amount of sodium. Next, let's dive into our relationship with sugar. And so this one also comes from the American Heart Association. Uh, they have a handout called the Sugary Six. And it talks about uh, where added sugars can commonly be found in these six popular food and drinks. So the first one is regular sodas, energy drinks, and sports drinks. Just one can of a regular soda has about 10 teaspoons of sugar. And one thing that I often see then in the endurance, uh, endurance athlete world, uh, even with triathletes and marathon runners, is that we tend to consume a lot of sugar with training and with races uh, because of a lot of the sports drinks. And so I've even you know, met some folks who are pre-diabetic, even though they're running miles and miles a day because of the sugar there. So it's, it's still something that you wanna be mindful of. And I typically recommend that they choose uh, more natural things. Dates are good if you, you know if you guys are a runner. Dates are really good source of natural, um, natural sugar, natural carbohydrate um, that you can use to, to fuel your body for those events. And then if you're not training for something, just choose water. You can add fresh slices of fruit to it. Um, frozen fruit is something that I like to add too. That can give you flavor. Frozen blueberries and frozen strawberries. I just drop it in your water. It makes it cold as well as give you some good flavor there to your water. For fruit drinks and fruit punches, that's another common finding where we get a lot of sugar in our diet. Sugar-sweetened beverages, including fruit-favorite drinks, are the number one source of added sugars in the United States. An eight-ounce fruit punch can have 13 grams of sugar in it. Candy, a one-and-a-half-ounce chocolate bar, has 21 grams of added sugar, which is nearly a whole day's worth of recommended daily allowance for women and kids. Our actual health guidelines state that as part of a healthy diet, one should not consume any more than 12 teaspoons or 48 grams of sugar in a day. So once again, instead of having that candy, opt for fruit. You can, um, now they do actually make some naturally dried fruit-based gummies. Um, you can have fresh or frozen fruit, fruit smoothie. Those are all good alternatives instead. Sweet baked goods. One snack size frosted chocolate cream-filled cupcake may have 18 grams or four teaspoons of added sugar to it. If you indulge, try making your own uh, baked goods instead, and you can cut half the sugar. You typically won't lose the taste just by doing that um, and without even having to try anything else. But some other things you can try are unsweetened applesauce. You can try bananas, overripe bananas, are naturally sweet. And so those are other good alternatives to sweetening your baked goods. It also will give you some moisture in your food that way too. And sweet potatoes is another one. 
ice cream and milk products. So two thirds of a cup of vanilla ice cream could have 18 grams of added sugar. And then dairy-based milk and milk products also have sugar added to them. Um, and this is one of the things that always just stuns me that, you know, our schools often give children dairy milk. It's often, you know, a lot of times the only thing that they have to choose from when we know that it's adding all of the sugar um, to their diets. And, and, you know, even beyond that, with the whole dairy, I have a whole nother talk on lactose intolerance. So. <laughs> but we know that's also a problem too. Um, but even be careful with uh, packaged yogurt products because a lot of times those will have a lot of added sugar to them, especially if you buy any of the ones that um, have the fruit added, because a lot of times they use more of a concentrated fruit, like a jelly or jam um, for the fruit source. So it's better if you buy unsweetened, non-dairy type. Just get some fresh fruit uh, that you can put in it yourself to save yourself on sugar there. And then sweetened breakfast foods was the number six culprit from the American Heart Association. Uh, so skip the morning sugar high from those sweetened breakfast cereals, any of those little flavored oatmeal packets, um, those things are very high in sugar, any of your breakfast shakes, those cereal bars. Uh, one strawberry flavored cereal bar that have around 12 grams of added sugar. And this isn't natural sugar that's in those strawberry uh, bars because it's more like a, a jelly that they put in it. So have a bowl of fruit, a plain unsweetened oatmeal that you can uh, flavor yourself, roasted potatoes with vegetables, or even a tofu scramble are all wonderful alternatives for breakfast. Uh, and then also be mindful of the sugar hiding in your coffee creamer for my coffee drinkers. You wanna be a label reader once again and choose more of an unsweetened variety of creamer. Use some sugar substitute if you want some sweetener in it instead. And then when it comes to our addiction to fat, Oil is gonna be our most common culprit. So one of the questions that I'm commonly asked is about coconut oil, because coconut oil, much like sea salt, has been touted as this you know, wonderful health food, but it's really not. Coconut oil is high in saturated fat, and another tip for you to you know, jot down and take home with you is that use the coconut oil on your skin and your hair, but don't put it in your mouth. <laughs> it's a wonderful moisturizer, but it's not great um, for you to consume it and put it in your diet. Uh, the same for olive oil. You, wanna, you can eat the olives, but try to stay away from the oil itself. Uh, cook with coconut milk. You can put coconut milk in a fresh curry sauce instead of adding oil to it. Uh, and then you can bake your desserts without palm oil. Once again, you can use applesauce or bananas or sweet potatoes um, to give you that moisture in those baked goods. And so really, you know, I want you to think lifestyle over diet. Diets are more temporary tools to lose weight. So anytime we're talking about food addiction, some people say, oh, I just need to go on a diet, but I don't want you to think diet. You know, there are many approaches to lose weight, but not all of them are gonna be healthy. Uh, so that's why I also don't want you to think about a diet. I want you to think lifestyle changes so that you have long-term sustainable health. Those lifestyle changes will include incorporating more fruits and vegetables into your diet and on your plate, avoiding processed foods, moving more, sleeping more, de-stressing. These are all our healthy approaches to maintain lifelong health and a healthy weight. You want to aim for a whole food plant-based diet. This way of eating, it eliminates uh, animal products, including meat, dairy, fish, and eggs, but it also eliminates those uh, processed things like sugar, salt, and oil um, from your diet. And you wanna choose more minimally processed foods, like your whole grain foods, your fruits, your vegetables, your legumes. Vegan does not equal whole food plant-based. 
uh, because of those things we talked about. You know, a lot of uh, folks, and it's also one of the reasons why if you ever heard me speak, I don't particularly use the term vegan, I more so use the term plant-based. Uh, because vegan is more of a, a lifestyle thing. You know, I, I have met vegans who don't really like uh, vegetables. I met vegans who are vegan for the animals, which is great, it's fine. Our animals certainly deserve that. Uh, but when we're talking about health, you want definitely more plant-based. So you wanna go for the more minimally processed things, whole foods, avoiding those processed foods, avoiding refined sugars and oils. So remember you are what you eat, your health, weight gain, weight loss, and food addiction is mostly based upon your diet. The majority of chronic diseases causing illness and death to Americans today are lifestyle-related diseases. A proper diet can not only prevent you from developing certain chronic diseases, but it can help you to improve and reverse those chronic diseases. So think of the basic approach of choosing foods that resemble the color of the rainbow. Eat lots of plants, some grains, limit fat and sugar. Think about the colors of your food that you need to, so that you will get the proper amount of vitamins, minerals, and nutrients that you need. If you eat the rainbow, you'll be well on your way to getting those things. Think of a salad dressing made with blueberries, oranges, and lime. A pasta sauce made with tomatoes, spinach, yellow orange peppers. A soup made with potatoes, broccoli, mushroom, and red peppers. So it's not hard, just eat the rainbow. Food can be used as a tool for medicine as well as a tool for disease. The choice is yours. The essence of health is in you. Thank you. Thank you for joining me today on the Essence of Health Tea Time Podcast. Click the subscribe button on your favorite podcast platform so that you never miss a moment of the Essence of Health Tea Time Podcast. Check out the show notes to obtain your free tips for healthy living guide to get you started on your health and wellness path. Follow me on social media at Essence of Health Wellness Clinic on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube, and at dr.tw at eohwc on TikTok. Interested in becoming a member of the Essence of Health Coaching Program? Well, head on over to www.eohcoaching.com. The Essence of Health is in you.